let's uh, let's pray together. God, I thank you so much again for this day and the opportunity that you give us to be here and to worship you and to adore you and to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you so much for that privilege that you give us. And uh, Lord, we thank you for just your many blessings, uh, God, for uh, our help that we're able to be here and to be able to fellowship together. And Lord, um, I just ask that as we discuss this topic this morning, that you would uh, guide our minds and our hearts to your things and to um, into what you are calling us to do. And it's your name I pray. Amen. All right, you guys, and take a seat. Good to see you this morning. Um, my name's Kyle Fowler. I'm the youth pastor here at First Baptist Church. If you don't know me, hi, how, how are you doing? And um, our pastor is uh, working with the children this morning. And I've been talking to our students for the last several weeks about a certain topic. And Mike just asked me if I would come over and uh, and do that for this service and, and last service. And so that's what, uh, what I did. And, and we'll get into that here in a moment. But um, just want to say hi and, and welcome you and let you know who I was in case you were wondering or confused or anything like that. So, hey, uh, that's good. So, what time of year is it? Fall. Yeah, today's like the first day that actually feels like fall, but yeah, it's uh, it's fall and uh, great time of year. It's the end of October. What's approaching at the end of October? Halloween. Halloween. All right, Halloween. We have uh, the King's Fair that, that's happening on the 31st and Halloween is coming up and man, I uh, I love Halloween. It's one of my favorite holidays. I, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, you know, as as a church person, but I do. I love Halloween. I love the uh, the dressing up. I love collecting candy and stuff in my face and all that good stuff. I love everything about uh, about that. And um, it, it's an interesting time of year. It, it kind of gives us a different perspective on several things. Um, one of which is uh, that a lot of times Halloween we talk about death. You know, a little bit more than probably normal. You know, it's a little bit more of a topic. It comes on TV. You know, you'll flip through your channels and there will be tons of scary movies that are on during this time of year. And uh, we talk about more spiritual things and ghosts and goblins and, and some different things like that. That can be uh, that can be interesting. And so that's a, it's, a, it's a weird time of year. But um, I was thinking a while back and, and thinking about what I was going to talk to the youth about during this time. And... Uh, I was brought to, to this thought. I was laying in bed in the middle of the night, and I started to think about, I know this is going to be weird, uh, but I started to think about zombies. Yeah, yeah. You can go ahead and pray for me now. Um, I began to think about zombies, and you're like, dude, what? I had ice cream earlier that evening. I think it was, you know, just kind of weird. I don't know, maybe sprinkled in something. I don't, I don't know what's going on. But uh, that's what I was thinking about. Uh, as I was laying there, and I started to think about, you know, the zombies and, and what they are and what they do, and I began to think, man, where did that come from? You know, who thought up of zombies? You know, who was laying in bed, I guess like me one night, and thought up, you know, I'm going to write this book, I'm going to write this movie, I'm going to write this play on a zombie, on something that's dead, that comes alive, and then chases around live people and tries to I mean, destroy them, eat them. I mean, that's weird, all right? That's some weird stuff. I don't know what he was thinking about, but that's, uh, that, that's what I was 
wondering, and I began to think maybe that's rooted in something that we know today. Maybe it's rooted in something that we've heard about today. Maybe it has something to do with a past civilization. You know, maybe they had a run-in with zombies at some point. Uh, but that's what I was thinking about, and I began to wonder, are zombies real? You know, are there such things as zombies? And in lieu of that, I thought it'd be fun this morning for us to talk about uh, several things that we would do. What are some things, and, and before we put the slide up there, I want, I want us to kind of discuss it, all right? So you're going to get to interact this morning. Uh, maybe you haven't seen a zombie movie, and if you haven't, that, that's cool. You know, I'm, I'm not condoning watching zombie movies. You know, I'm not saying, hey, we should all go, you know, if you haven't seen one, it's fine, no big deal. But you know what a zombie is, right? Okay, yeah, for the most part, you've heard, read in a book, Talk to a neighbor, you know, we don't want to admit that we may have seen a zombie movie at some point. You know, that's cool. Don't admit it. Uh, but we know what a zombie is. So here's what I want us to do here for a few minutes. I want us to talk about what would we need to survive? What do we need to remember? What do we need to have with us to survive a zombie apocalypse? All right. If a zombie apocalypse came upon us and they began to overrun our culture, what are some things that we need to be able to do to survive? Any ideas? Be able to run fast. Pray. Yeah. Hand grenades. Hand grenades. Yeah. Uh, those are all great answers. Those are all great answers. Um, here, here's kind of the list that I came up with. We can, we can look at that. Um, the first rule in how to survive a zombie apocalypse is don't get bitten. Right? Don't get bitten. It is the most important rule. If you get bitten, what happens? You turn into a zombie. Yeah, you don't have any chance. That's it. You get bitten. You get scratched. You get something going on there. All of a sudden, you're a zombie yourself. Game over. You know, it's no longer any fun. So that's the number one rule. Don't get bitten by anything. Um, Number two, be able to run fast and to be in good shape. You need to be able to run quickly to be able to escape from zombies, if you're not a fast person, maybe, you know, that's not the, what the Lord blessed you with was the gift of speed. Uh, something that you can do, and, and I suggest, is just to get slower people to be in your group and surround yourself with slower people. And that way, you know, you just got to be faster than that person and you're all good. Uh, be able to run fast and be in good shape. So that's something to work towards. You know, if you're wondering, man, why should I start working out? Why should I start running? Well, in case of a zombie apocalypse. Um, the third one, dress appropriately. All right, ladies, don't be, if there's a zombie apocalypse, don't get all dolled up. Don't be going out in heels and dresses. That's going to, to be a problem. All right, if you start being chased by a zombie, you're trying to run in heels. I don't know what that's like. I can't imagine it's, it's easy. Uh, but, so that's a, that's a good one. Stock up on supplies. Um, another one, have transportation. You want to have something to get from place to place, preferably a boat. All right, how many of you have ever seen a zombie swim? Doesn't happen. I don't know why everyone don't go on boats. You know, that's the whole deal. Try and get on a boat and you can escape. Get out of the zombie world. You know, they no longer can chase them. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. Have transportation, preferably a boat. Use common sense. You don't want to elect a crazy person as your leader. All right, if you are in a group, you are not going to elect the crazy guy to be leading your group. You'll end up in some weird situations and bad situations, and it's just not going to be good for anyone. So be sure to elect good leaders. Have trusted friends around you that won't bite you if they get bit. Uh, discuss how to handle the situation if one of you gets bitten. It's easier to take 
when you already know how to handle it, be sure to talk about what to do in case one of your friends starts turning into a zombie, uh, how you're going to handle that situation, and have backups to everything. Have backup friends, backup supplies, backup transportation, backup everything. Uh, you want to have a backup to pretty much anything that you have in case of a zombie apocalypse. This is a small list. There's plenty more. If you go online, there are websites designated to how to survive a zombie apocalypse. I'm not making this up. It is a very real situation for a lot of people. They are worried about this happening and this zombie apocalypse. And so I began to think, are zombies real? You know, we have all these websites about how to survive them and, and what to do with them. And as I was thinking, man, God just kind of put something into my mind and I began to realize that zombies are real. You're like, dude, you are crazy, right? Y'all are all thinking that I'm nuts, and that's perfectly understandable. But if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to, to look at, a, at an interesting passage of Scripture. So uh, I say that zombies are real. What are, as you're turning there, what are some characteristics of zombies? I have uh, a list here for you guys to, to show what some of the characteristics of zombies are, and we'll just leave this list up as we talk a little bit about it, but uh, zombies are dead, yet they're still alive. All right, they're dead, but they're still walking around, being really zombie-ish. Kind of like a teenager early in the morning. Zombie. Walk after the desire of the flesh. All right, what are zombies walking towards? Eating people, yeah. Uh, Bad motor skills. You're never going to see a zombie over there in the corner playing a guitar. All right? They don't have good functioning skills. All right? They can't climb ladders. Uh, They have issues with barriers. You know, they're just not very good motor skill-wise. They smell bad for obvious reasons. Zombies smell awful. And uh, they're diseased. All right? So that's kind of some characteristics that we see in zombies whenever we talk about zombies when we look at zombies that are some things that that are some things that are that is some things that um that kind of show up so let's read here in ephesians chapter 2 beginning in verse 1 it says and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world following the prince of the power of the air the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. All right, so we start off here in Ephesians chapter 2, and it says that they were dead in their trespasses and sins. So let's look at this very first uh, characteristic that we're going to keep up on the board, that they were dead yet still alive, that it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, that you were dead in your trespasses and sin in which you once walked following the course of this world, that they are dead spiritually inside. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. There is no life that's there. You know what I'm saying? You know what dead is? Yeah, it's completely lifeless. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. There is no life within. And so they walk through this world following the course of this world because they have no other Thoughts. They have no other options because there is no other things that are coming through their mind. They're dead in their trespasses and sin. Walking in accordance to the ways of the world. Following the prince of the power of the air. That's the direction that they're heading in. 
dead, yet still alive, able to move. People today that are dead in their trespasses and sin, yet still alive, walking towards the ways of the world. So whenever we start thinking about this in a spiritual way, that there are people that are dead in their trespasses and sin, who is dead in their trespasses and sin? That's a rhetorical question you can answer back. Who's dead in their trespasses and sin? Everyone. Everyone is dead in their trespasses and sin. For all of sin and fall short of the glory of God, if you have sin in your life, you're dead in your trespasses and sin. And so from the very beginning of time, there's been zombie-like people for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, beginning in Genesis 3, where sin entered the world from that point forward through one man, sin entered through the rest of mankind and to this very day that we live in rebellion to God. The very natural state of our heart is not a heart of life. It's not a heart of goodness. It's not a heart of godliness. The very intention, the way that we're born, the nature of our heart is in rebellion to the things of God. That's the very natural state that we're in. You know what I'm saying? No one woke up one day and was like, hey, I'm great. You know, I'm good. I'm all good. No, you, you're sinful. How you were born, that's the life that you've lived. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. For instance, let's, let's talk about this for a moment. Uh, because sometimes we think, you know, I'm, I'm really not that bad. You know, that's great. Did someone ever at any point in your life sit you down, maybe as a small child, and say, you know, hey, Kyle, uh, this is how you tell a lie? You know, you ever have your grandpa sit down beside you and he's like, hey, you know, this is how I want you to lie, sonny. You know, throw this in here and deceive your parents and do that. Did that, that never happened for me. Did that happen for you? Probably not. Uh, how about your parents sit you down and say, all right, hey, listen, uh, this is how we want you to be disobedient towards us. Uh, we don't want you to make your bed. We want you to, to rebel against us. We want you to not uh, like any of our rules. And no, that didn't happen, right? How about anger? Did anyone have to show you how to be angry? It just happened, all right? Someone stole your toy, that's it. You're mad, you're angry, it just blows up. That just happens. That's the natural state of our heart. No one had to show us how to sin. We're naturally sinful. We're naturally living in opposition and rebellion to God. That's the natural posture of our heart. It's not to live for the things of God. And so we live in rebellion to Him from the very beginning of our life. Maybe for some of us, that's been a long time ago. You know, that, that we can remember being dead in our trespasses and sin. But here's what I want you to understand. No one, no one, not a single one of you, no one was born a Christian. Not born a Christian. You may have been born in a Christian household. You may have been born at the church. You were not born a Christian. You were born in rebellion in opposition to God as a zombie. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the price of that sin is death. And we're all dead in our trespasses and sin, spiritually dead, living in opposition to God. That is where all of us begin as zombies in this world. So if we begin to think about that for a moment and we expand that a little bit further, then who's all dead who's all zombies well everyone who's lost how many lost people are there there's a bunch you know there, there's millions there's thousands there's 
hundreds of thousands. There are tons and tons of people that don't know who Christ is. And so our world is ran with the overrun of zombies. All of a sudden, we find ourselves literally in a zombie apocalypse. Spiritually, all right? Are you making the connection? You know, is it registering a little bit here? Yeah, that, that we're in a zombie apocalypse of spiritual proportions where people are living in sin and they walk aimlessly after the ways of this world. They walk after the desires of their flesh. The next characteristic we read there in verse 1, it says, or verse 2, in which you once walked, following the course of this world. That is what they're doing. They're following the things of this world. Why do they do it? Because that's what they're made to do. That's who they are. They're zombies. They're going to, to chase after the things of their flesh. Right? That's what they're going to do. They, they can't think about anything else. For us to think that unbelievers are going to think with a spiritual mindset is foolish. It's not going to happen. For us to think that they're going to understand our values and understand the things that we love and understand singing. You know, worship is a weird deal. How many, how many of you go somewhere? All right, th- this is kind of a unique question. I ask the youth this sometimes. Um, how many of you go somewhere... And whenever you get there, you, you, you sit in pews and sing. Yeah, church and that's about it. All right. Uh, how many how many places do you go and, and you go somewhere and and, you know, you may hold hands and close your eyes and start talking out loud to, to, to anywhere? Okay, those seems just on the outside appear weird, right? I mean, if you just didn't know anything about church or anything about believers and you walked and you saw a bunch of people standing around singing to Dan up here, you know, they would be like, what is going on? What's happening? Or you look up here and I'm standing up here with my eyes closed talking out loud and all of you with your eyes closed. That would be weird to people, right? Okay, well, that's because... There's no spiritual life. Whenever we're made alive in Christ, we understand those things. Those things make sense. There's a reason that we worship. There's a reason that we sing. There's a reason that we pray. There's a reason that we read this book. There's reasons that we do those things that are rooted in Him, but those things are blinded to those that are zombies. It doesn't make sense. You may be one of those people. You may be sitting there thinking, man, I don't get this. I don't understand church. I don't understand See, I don't understand spiritual things. I read the Bible, and it's the Bible. You know, it's a book. I sit here and watch people sing, and, and, and you know, I sing along, but I just don't get it. And listen, that's not your fault. You're a zombie. And we're going to get to a little bit of that here in a moment, but, but you don't have to stay that way. Zombies are walking towards the desires of their flesh. In these movies, I mean, I know that maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't, but in these movies, like, they all walk mindlessly, right? They're in these hordes sometimes or just kind of going on solo, but they're just kind of walking, you know, just kind of mindlessly walking around, running into things because their motor skills are bad. You know, they're like walking into the wall in the corner and not, you know, or whatever. They're walking around and doing these things, but... They're walking after the desire of their flesh. They're looking for this thing. And if we begin to look at the culture around us, and we begin to look at the people that don't know 
Christ around us. They're walking according to their flesh. The thing that drives them are the things that they desire in their flesh. It's easy to pursue your flesh. Can I say that? That's what you're born to do. That's the natural intent of your heart is to live in rebellion to God. It's easy to pursue your flesh. That's the easy thing to do. It's easy to want to make a lot of money. It's easy to want pride. It's easy to want the things of this world. Those things are easy. It's easy to live in sin. It's not hard. It's the easy thing to do. Those zombies walk aimlessly, mindlessly, pursuing the things of their flesh. There's no thought involved. I mean, would we all agree that zombies are not smart in movies? Yeah, they're not the the brightest tool in the shed, right? Obviously. And so we we can probably say that they're walking towards these things mindlessly and indirectly and and. It's the same thing, man. In our world today, people are walking mindlessly, endlessly pursuing the things of this world because that's what they think is the very best. That's what they think they need to have. And like I said, that's not their fault. That's what's in them. That's what's there. It's to pursue those things of the world. As we keep looking, as it goes down, they smell bad. All right, how many of you guys have ever been hunting or, or working out or, or something with other guys? Ever done that? All right, do you ever notice that you smell bad whenever you're hanging out with the guys? You don't, do you? You're out there in the, the woods hunting, you don't notice that you smell bad. You're hanging out with other guys that smell bad, it's no big deal. But as soon as you get home, what happens? There's a very real realization that you smell bad. You know, your wife lets you know while you're outside that you smell bad. They can smell you coming. They know that you stink. But here's the thing, guys, is that you don't realize that you smell bad when you're hanging out with other people that smell bad. It's the same thing for people that are spiritually dead and spiritually zombified is that they are smelling in the deceasedness of their flesh and don't realize it. Because they're around other people that are the exact same way. They're around other people that are in the exact same place. And it's not until you're around other alive people that you realize that there's more to this than that. And the final thing is that they're diseased. They're diseased. That they are a disease that's taken hold of their life, that's turned them into this zombie person. And that disease is sin. It's riddling their life. It's a disease that's just completely taken over their body. And it's something that they have to learn to deal with and to cope with. And they walk through this life living in this diseased life. And, 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 and it's just there. It's just there. And they don't know what to do about it. And so let's talk about another aspect of the zombie movie. Is there are those that are... Zombies, if they're zombies, what else does there have to be to, for there to be a good movie? It's just a movie about zombies that would be boring. There has to be what? Non-zombies, right? It would be a boring movie if they were all zombies. Uh, there's got to be those that are not zombies. So what are some characteristics of those people that are alive? Well, they're alive. 
All right, that's, that's kind of the key uh, for them is that they are alive. They escape the zombies. They have good motor skills. They're able to think. They're clean. They smell alive, not sick. They're free. They have friends, and they live for each other. If you have uh, a pen and paper, you're taking notes, write down Romans chapter 6 and read that this week. Um, it talks about being dead to sin and alive in Christ. That's a great place uh, for you to to look at some of the characteristics of those that are survivors. But in order for there to be this story, there has to be those that are alive and those that are dead. And so we talked about those that are dead. So who are those that are alive? If, if, if those people are dead in their trespasses and sins spiritually, who are those that are alive? Christians, right? People that have been born again. Those that have been given new life. Those that are made new by Jesus Christ and by his love and by his blood. And that's kind of the, the, the two different sides. You have those that are dead and you have those that are alive. And that's kind of the, the conflict that's going on there. And so with all that said, what usually happens is in zombie movies, those zombies try to attack the people that are alive and a lot of people try to run from them and sometimes use weapons against them, right? What if our story was a little bit different? What if instead of trying to take out all of the zombies, what if there was a cure? What if there was an antidote? What if there was something that would turn those zombies from being zombies to people that were alive? Well, there is a cure for those zombies. If you look a little bit further in Ephesians chapter 2, picking it up in in verse 4, the second part of this passage where they've been dead in their trespasses and sin, the two greatest words, I think, in this whole entire passage of Scripture, it says, but God. That deserves an amen. But God. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. You were living in rebellion to him. You were doing everything in opposition to who he was, following the prince of the power of the air. But God. Intersects this story. Sees us in our diseased, stricken Lives in our zombie life, in our life living in rebellion to God. He looks in on that and it says, no, that is not how it's going to stay. But God, being rich in his mercy. How rich? Really, really rich. Being rich in his mercy that even though we are so rebellious, even though our entire life is in rebellion to him, even though everything that we do is in in opposition to him, even though that is the, the intention of our life, but God being rich in his mercy, being rich in his mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even while we were dead in our trespasses and sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. That is so amazing. Even though we were dead in our trespasses and sin, God looks down on this situation and says, I'm going to intersect and cause a cure for this disease called sin that is riddling your life. That is taking you from being people who live forever to those that are dying in their trespasses and sin. He intersects himself and he gives up his life and spills his blood. And I know we don't like talking about blood. I get that. That's a scary thing. But God's blood is transfused into those people who call upon his name. And it's taken them. I mean, it just completely takes them from death into life. He is the cure. He has the healing power in his blood that was shed for you to take away your sin. And to take away your shame. And to bring you from death into life. Imagine that for a moment. Completely transformed from death into life. That's a miracle. And we flippantly sometimes ignore that. It's a miracle when something that's dead is made alive. And it's by the very power of Jesus' blood that was shed on the cross for you that he gave that cure. He gave up his body, he gave up his blood, and he said, this is the cure for your disease. So that you can no longer be a zombie in this world, but be given life. But be given life. And so as we think about that for a moment, as we think about how there was a point in your life where you were a zombie. There was a point in your life where you were living in rebellion to God. That might be today. It might have been five years ago. It might have been... 10 years ago, it might have been 20 years ago, it might have been 30 years ago. But like I said, none of us were born a believer. So there was a day that you were a zombie. And you were living in rebellion to God. I want you to think back to that day. And all of a sudden, God intersects himself into your life. But God, being rich in his mercy, not because we deserved it. Not because we somehow worked out a good deal. But God being rich in his mercy because of his great love intersects, pours out his life so that we can have life everlasting, that we can be made alive. And so I want us to think that that is the cure that God has given us. And if there is a cure, now we get to a more interesting conversation for us as church people, as us as people that are made alive. I want you to think for a moment that you're in this zombie movie where there are people that are dead and zombies all around us, which we said spiritually there are people that are dead and zombies around us, and we are alive. Man, we're a believer in Christ. We've been made alive. What if instead of there being destruction, you had a cure for those diseases? And we just said that there is a cure in the blood of Jesus Christ. And you hold that cure in your hand as someone that's alive. And you take it and you put it on your shelf. And you sit on your couch and you watch TV. Is that going to make for a good movie? Probably not. 
or we take that cure and we put it on our nightstand beside our bed and lay down and go to sleep. Is that going to make for a good movie? If we say that we're alive in Christ and we hold the cure in our hand, how cruel, how cruel would it be if you had a cure to heal these zombies that if this was a very real thing and there were people around you, neighbors, co-workers, friends, people that you love, family members that were zombies, that you had the cure and would not give it to them. How cruel would that be? If there were literally zombies and you wouldn't bring the cure to them. Think about that. How cured, how, how, how cruel do you have to be to do that? You have to be pretty darn cruel. I mean, think about it from another perspective. Let's say that you had a cure for cancer. You worked up a cure for cancer and you had a friend that was dying of cancer and you had the cure. You know, this is real life now. You had the cure that could take away that cancer from them. And you didn't bring it to them. What kind of friend are you? How cruel is that? It's messed up, isn't it? We look at that and we say, that's a, that's a travesty. You know, there's, there couldn't be anything worse than for that to happen. And so we're looking at this and we have the cure to heal the diseased zombies that are running around in our world. And we just said there's millions and millions of them. You have people in your neighborhood that are zombies that are running towards their death that are diseased and inflicted, and and you have the cure. What are you going to do with it? You have people at your school that are diseased, that are infected. What are you going to do? What are you going to do with the cure? Are you going to be selfish and hang on to it? Are you going to do what's obviously the the logical best thing to do. If you're living in a zombie-infested world, you're going to give out the antidote. You're going to give out the cure. To not would be cruel. And to make it even more convicting, as if it could be, you were one of them. Therefore, someone brought the cure to you. Let that sink in for a moment. Someone brought the cure to you. And you won't give it to anyone else. How heartbreaking. How messed up. I cannot think of anything that would be... I mean, just unbelievable. It's like, you know, you're laying in a hospital bed and someone gave you the cure and you got it and you became well and then all of a sudden someone else has the same disease and you won't take it to them. Who would, who would do that? Why would I do that? You know, I say that as all of us, as people of God, not just you and, I mean, all of us, me. How cruel do we have to be? 
to do that. If you uh, look in John chapter 4, we see that uh, there's an interesting story about Jesus and the woman at the well, the woman of Samaria. It's an interesting passage of scripture because it deals with um, so many different barriers that are kind of being broken down here between Christ and these people because, um, you know, the Samaritans were hated by the Jewish people. You know, women didn't hold uh, the same standard that that they hold today back in those times and that um, they were at the well at the middle of the day. There's like all these things that are wrong about this scenario. All right, and Jesus just kind of blows them all up. And I think it's really applicable for us as people that are living in a world that's in need of a cure, yet we're afraid of the people that we bring it to. And, and he, I want to read just some of this to you. I'll pick out different pieces of it, and we'll, uh, we'll keep looking at it. Verse 7, it says, A woman from Samaria came for water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. And uh, verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. As we skip down a little bit further, we get to the end of this. In verse 24, he says, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who is called the Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And she runs off into the town and talks about the Messiah being here and the people in the town flow out to see Jesus as zombies headed towards people that are alive. And we see this uniqueness that's going on here that Jesus, exactly where he is, there's no reason for Christ to be there. There's no reason for Jesus to be sitting at a well or for that woman to show up at the well in the middle of the day when no one else is there that's from a different background, that has different things going on in her life, that deal with different issues. There's no reason for her to be there and for him to be there at the exact same time, but they are because that's what God wanted. And each one of you are put exactly where you are for a reason. Every single one of you have the friends and circle of friends that you have for a reason. Each one of you have the aged kids that you have for a reason. You have the job that you have for a reason. You have the family that you have for a reason. You've been placed there with a purpose. And you've been equipped for every good work, as we would read further in Ephesians chapter 2, that he's given us all that we need to be able to accomplish it. And you have the cure, and you have the answer to their disease. And the question becomes, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do 
with such a disease. And so as we conclude this morning, I, I want to, to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes where you're at. And I want you just to talk with God for a moment. And I know that um, this is a, a unique topic, and I know that you probably didn't get up this morning thinking that, that you were going to talk about zombies. Uh, but I hope that God showed you maybe a little bit of a different picture of what the gospel looks like and how urgent the gospel is. How urgent our call is and the things that we do is. And so, and, and I can't help but think that maybe for some of you, this might be the first time that, that it really clicked in your mind that you were a zombie and you lived in rebellion to God and you continue to live. And that's how come these spiritual things don't make sense. That's how come these things don't seem to make sense. And, and man, there's no shame in that. I understand. You know, I grew up in church. I went to church every Sunday and every Wednesday. It took me forever to get it. It's not in our timing, it's in God's. And he may have spoken to your heart this morning. He might have opened you up to those spiritual things and said, this is what I have for your life. And if that's you, I want the opportunity to pray for you. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I want you, if you are someone that for the first time in your life, you realized that I've been a zombie for too long and I want to be made alive. I just want you to, to look at me. I want you to make eye contact with me. And, and you know, look at me until, until we, we see each other. And I want to be able to pray with you and pray for you. thank you so much for these men and women who are willing to, to step from darkness into light and willing to be awakened by your blood and by your love and by your grace. And Lord, they are wanting to know what your grace and your mercy looks like. And so God, I, I pray for them and their life. Lord, I pray that you would grow them and you would Show them who you are, and God, that you reveal all of your great majesty and love. What an amazing thing to, to fall. I mean, like I said, it's a miracle. It's a miracle. Being dead and then being made alive. It's a miracle that it can only be done by you, and we're so thankful for you. We're so thankful for that. And there are some of us here today that are believers. Christ, and maybe we've been walking for a while, and, and maybe, maybe we just forgot how urgent it was. We forgot how drastic and dramatic the situation is that we're in, and it took this picture to really jar that to life, that, that we are surrounded by this situation and circumstance, and you have the cure for you're a believer in him. And we just need to commit ourselves to pursuing that. And there's people in our life that we know need and we want to pour out our hearts for them. So I'm going to give you a moment to do that. You can do it where you're at. You can come down 
uh, hear and pray, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to give you a few minutes just to talk with God and, and to uh, pour out your heart before him. And then I'll close this in prayer. And uh, we'll be done. and knows no bounds. And for that, I'm so thankful. Because so many times I fall short and we fall short. So many times we mess up. And Lord, your word tells us that you are slow to anger and quick to forgive. And Lord, we trust in that. Your word tells us that you're faithful and able to take our sin and Lord we trust in that and, and your word says that it's as far as the east is from the west and Lord we trust in that and we just ask that you would kindle a fire in our hearts so severe and so bright that we could not help but take your cure to a world that needs it Lord that we couldn't stop that it would burn so hot that we couldn't ignore it. Lord, it's our plea that, that we can take these cures to the people that we, that we know need it. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would do so in that way. And God, I love you so much. I'm thankful that you are rich in mercy and full of love. And it's your name I pray.